Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today I have on Donna Corlew. Donna is an FSMPS, so a fellow of SMPS. She's also a CPSM, an inspiring force in the professional services industry and passionate about helping her clients realize success. As founder and chief WIT, W-I-T, officer of C-Connect, Donna devotes her days to equipping doer sellers with the skills to maximize client development efforts. She creates client-focused project-specific messaging for markets and pursuits, and coaches presentation teams to win strategic pursuits. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Keelan. I'm excited to be with you. Hi, marketeers. <laughs> so before we dig in on what I brought you on here to talk about, which is the the seller-doer, doer-seller model, just however you want to phrase that, I'm curious how you got started in the industry. What's your story? What's my story? Well, probably sounds very familiar to most of your listeners. Did any of us ever wake up one day and say, oh, I want to be a professional services marketer when I grow up? Did nobody ever. One day, exactly. We can dream. Uh, But for me, my background was business and marketing. And through a little thing that nobody ever has anymore, which is a classified ad in the newspaper. Oh, the local architecture and environmental engineering firm was looking for a marketing coordinator. And I was looking for a job. So, hey, why not? What is this thing? And I vividly remember sitting in my first second interview with Ron and Steve and saying the words, I know nothing about your business. And they said, that's okay. We'll teach you what you need to know about the architecture and engineering side of things and how a project goes together, but we need someone who understands the business. Right. And so true to their word, they taught me a lot about design and the environmental, particularly hazards within the built environment, like asbestos, lead-based paint, indoor air quality, uh, worked with industrial hygienists, and also, you know, just understanding how projects go together, how teams function, the the nuances that is the world of architecture, engineering, and construction that we don't see if you're on a product side of anything. Right. And what I found was it was a way for me to connect and engage in ways in my community that otherwise I wouldn't have because the firms that we work for, whether they were an internal marketer or an external consultant or an outside consultant is, you know, they're the ones who are impacting every aspect of how we live, how we heal, how we learn, how we entertain ourselves, how we engage with each other from flipping on a light switch to turn on a water faucet and presuming that we'll get the desired result that we want. And so for me as a marketer and someone invested in building relationships, it was a way for me to contribute to those firms who have such a huge impact in our, in our lives. 
you know, so that's kind of my story. It's the how I got here, but also why I stay. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart, as all your listeners oh. can attest on a daily basis. And there are days there have been frustrations more than we can ever tell, but it is also, like I said, a way to contribute that otherwise, because I'm not an architect, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a builder, you don't want me to be kind of thing. And so it's a way that I could stay connected and contribute in that crazy world that. that we call architecture, engineering, and construction. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's a shared sentiment among so many marketers of why we stay is like, you do see the impact of your work, even if it's not you, you know, designing the building or the systems, you can at least have a hand in the process. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it's not only having a hand in the process, but and I'm going to kind of roll back to one of your earlier guests who talked about us marketing our industry, not just our firms. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so insightful because there are so many things past the proposals and presentations, the positioning that we do to win work, that it's also that how do we tell the story of the impact on our communities? How right. do we share that with the communities as a whole so they understand they're aware of mm-hmm. the impact of that? These things just don't happen by chance. And there's really smart people and talented people that figure all this out. Mm-hmm. And so that was an eye-opening, even after a number of years in the industry, eye-opening for me to think about it in that way when I heard BJ say that in one of, an er- in one of your earlier episodes. Yeah. So on the subject of seller-doers, I think a good place to start is by defining what a seller-doer is. So how would you define a seller-doer? How would I define this word? First off, I'm going to kind of flip the term. I know the industry term is seller-doer, but let's be real honest. For the majority of who we consider those seller-doers, they would much rather do than sell. Yep. So I prefer the term doer-seller. I mean, let's flip it for a little bit because they trained, they studied, they've developed their craft. identifying those problems, those issues, those challenges, Mm -hmm. and working to solve that. So, you know, the way that I define a doer-seller is someone who is involved in the delivery of work. Right. They're, you know, their focus is on that, that architecture. Like I said, they've been trained that way. Um, They've been through, you know, five years of architecture school or, you know, five or six years or advanced for, you know, engineering, whether it's master's or doctorate or whatever. And I mentioned yeah. industrial hygienists earlier. I mean, same thing. So it it's those folks who are involved in that delivery of work. And that is, is what they do and do well. Yeah. And we're grateful for it. <laughs> yep. So then what is the benefit of having a seller do, sorry, a doer seller on the team? <laughs> well, and here's the thing. And it was one of those revelations to me as I sh- transitioned from um, of a very business focused marketing model to AEC world is that 
someone, a client, an end user, a stakeholder could know or love me. They could get to know me. I could build a relationship with them. They could trust me. But at the end of the day, I was not going to be the one delivering their work. Right. So it kind of dawned on me early on that part of my role as a marketer or a business developer, and a lot of times I kind of wore both hats. I had sure. a two-sided thing. Is that how quickly could I get that owner, client, organization, folks, decision makers connected to the people who would actually be doing their work and help facilitate almost match make, you know, right. speed dating kind of thing, their yeah. relationships. So they would get to know and love and trust those people. That chemistry was there. So when the opportunity came, that was already in place and it made the quote sell a lot easier because they knew them. Right. Um, and we've all got stories of times when it worked better than others. Sure. But but again, I think that that's the value they bring is because they've done the work, they have that credibility. Right. Um, but it also recognizing that many times that out of their comfort zone. So how do you help them in, in little in, incremental steps? But, you know, a good friend and colleague that I work with and have, have known for years Frank Lippert over at Go Strategies has the formula relationship plus good work equals more work. Oh, I so like that. you can do good work and you've got to do good work because if you don't do good work, the odds of doing more work are probably slim, right? Right. But then if you have the relationship and you can back that up with good work, it just makes it easier for the client for the organization for the individuals who are making those decisions because many times we forget we talk about organizations and clients and this and that and we forget we're human beings dealing with human beings who have the same issues and challenges and fears in in dreams and aspirations that we do and so how can we tap into that and i think that's where the relationship part comes in not to be you know, we all get the image of this lazy car salesman. You know, sure. Kind of same thing. That's not what I'm saying. You know, I'm saying be genuine, be authentic, want to be of help, want to be that problem solver. And many times I think from what I've found over the years, that's what a lot of the doer sellers in this world want to do is they want to help. Right. Um, and so how can we help them help those other folks be successful? In their sure. project. Now, when we're looking at the doer seller model, do you find that companies are solely reliant on doer sellers, or is it a mix of a few different models? You name it, you will find it. Has that sure. answer? Yeah. A lot of times it will depend on the size of the farm. If you have a smaller, I hate to put like numbers, but if you have a smaller farm, Right. Um, a lot of times they will lean solely on that doer seller model okay. just because back when I started in the industry, we won't say how long ago that was, but back when I started in the industry, it was not unusual that you had whoever's name was on the door was the face right. of the firm, kind of that term is rainmaker. They could go out and find work and just make it appear as right. if magically. You know, I think of even names that we know today, like Frank Geary, 
you know, or kind of that name that I think of it, it just could kind of appear or Art Gensler when you think about Gensler in their early days. Right. So in that model, uh, that kind of that Rainmaker model is quickly going away. One, because that generation is leaving the workforce. Right. Second of all, because we're looking at things much more collaboratively mm -hmm. and our team are wanting to be more collaborative. I mean, we're the Gen X and millennials really do want that interaction and kind of those, how do we be better together, stronger together? Right. Kind of thing. So I think you'll see that Rainmaker kind of model becoming a thing of the past. But again, if it's a smaller firm, you will see it really lean on the, the doer sellers. At what point does the firm say, hey, we need to bring on a marketer who can help us with the strategy, the positioning, and in my case, many times also the BD, the business development portion of it. And, you know, what a part of it could I do on my own in addition to bringing them along sure. as well and when I needed to. So I think that there's really no hard and fast rule, but it's important for you and your firm to be honest with yourself. And the leadership needs to be honest about the skill set and setting the expectation right. of in holding folks accountable for that. And I don't mean in a mean spirited, you know, you're right. going to do this kind of way, but to kind of set those expectations and kind of help and make sure they're reasonable. You can't expect any doer seller, I don't care how good they are, to have a 95% utilization rate. Right. And still be you know, effective in building relationships and bring in positioning for new work. You just, they, there's not enough hours of the day. Right. People yeah. need to sleep, you know, so, and they have lives. So I think that really being honest with what works best for you and how can marketers, business developers, and doer sellers work together collaboratively to be effective and efficient. Right. Because what, it may not always be in the doer seller's best use to go do something. You know, there may be some advanced work, and there usually is advanced work, depending upon is it an existing client that you've been working with already? Is it a new client? And maybe it's a new client, new service, or a new geography. You know, mm -hmm. so again, kind of thinking about that situation that you're in and having some really honest, transparent conversations about what what's reasonable and what's the expectations and what are people willing to do yeah so that i mean part of that answer sort of segued into my next question which is how do you know that it's time to bring on a bd person to help support your seller doer model because i know there are quite a few firms that i've come across that are sort of at that tipping point where they've gotten as far as they can get with their doer sellers and now they're starting to sort of question like, okay, we have marketing, but do we bring on a BD person? What do we do here? So what, I suppose, what is the trigger to bring on a BD person? Yeah. How, yeah. how do you know? How do you know? It, I think it comes down to, again, as firms grow, what are you looking to do with your market? If you're established in a market and you're the use the words 800 pound gorilla and you're okay with we're just going to maintain this 
Right. We're not going to add people. We're not going to add this. We're not going to add that. Then if you can maintain keeping your seller doers, that's fine. Right. If you say, hey, we want to grow into a new market sector or we want to grow into a new geography or we just want to capture more of the market, you know, looking at what time is available for your doer sellers to do that while still being able to do the other things you expect of them as far as firm leadership and or project management and mentoring those teams that work with them sure. on the technical side. But I think right. when you reach that point of you, you begin to see, hey, there are these coming out. We knew were coming out, but boy, we had in position for them. Or even worse, we didn't even know they were coming. Mm. That tells me that you've got frontline doer sellers who are have their heads so deep in the doing that they're for whatever reason whether it's comfort level or they just don't have the time to look up and be aware and to build those relationships so what is that tipping point i think it's going to be a little different for each firm but when you start finding things coming up that you should have known about that you would have been positioned for that the client starts calling and saying, hey, why did you not respond to this? Particularly if you're on a public sector side. Right. Um, but private sector can be the same. It's when you begin to see those signs of, hey, we're missing things. Mm. I think that's a good big red flag. Got to, 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 hey, we need some help. And, you know, and there are, it's not easy. I'm not going to say this, but I will float it out there. And I've done it from time to time, particularly here in my local market where I kind of know some folks, you know, to, to kind of fill in as a, and I'm going to use the term part-time business developer, mm -hmm. kind of begin to kind of bridge that gap for them, for a firm to figure out if they're ready for that full-time business developer and how they might be able to use it. So, Interesting. you know, maybe looking for, and it is an interesting, you have to kind of have the conversation about expectations and how do you represent, especially if you have your own company, how do you represent somebody else? Sure. Um, but, but it can be a, a nice segue into, hey, this could work. Let's see if we can use this to kind of begin to build a model right. for them bringing on a full-time business developer. I like that. It's like getting your toes wet first. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, but, but to be clear, and, and I think, I think firms do this as well. They bring on a full-time business developer and you almost unilaterally see all the doer sellers go, okay, go sell. Mm. Call yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And you're going, no, 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 that's not how this works. Right. So again, it's that, I, I keep going back to the word teamwork and collaboration when everyone can work together and figure out and find their roles and mm. understand the roles. I think that that's a big part of it is what is marketing role, especially if you have a marketing entity, you have a business development entity, and then you have the doer sellers. What right. are the roles and expectations of each? Where are they involved in the process? And like I said, it will look differently if it's an existing client, existing services. Because the doer sellers are the ones who have those relationships with those clients. And the clients know them for that service. So that's a great place for them to lean in rather than it being a new client 
and or a new service, right? Where that advanced physical work, strategic work needs to be done um, to, to kind of position and understand what the opportunities are. Perfect. So you mentioned that having a doer seller model, you can sort of see when it's faltering. At one of the points was if you have doers that don't want to sell. So then what are some strategies that we as marketers can use to get doer sellers more engaged in the process if it is a matter of them not wanting to sell versus not having the time? I pause here only because it's also worth recognizing, and I'm not saying I'm giving everybody a pack. Let me get that out there. (laughs) But there are some that it is just outside of their book. Sure. Don't want to do it. They're not going to do it. I don't care what title you give them. I don't care what expectation you give of them. They're just not going to do it. Sure. They may even nod their head up and down and say, yeah, I'm on board. And then you look up three months later and you're going, I'm still fighting the same battles. So yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Sure. There's that. So recognizing that there may be people in that technical delivery role that it's just not in their DNA to do it. There may still be some behind the scenes, and I say behind the scenes things. Can they provide thought leadership? Can they provide support on design award submittals or things like that? But again, it when you're talking about that doer seller relationship, I think the things that I learned first off is the only time they didn't need to see you was when you were coming to ask them for something. Again, one of the things that kind of served me well over the years was when I wasn't on deadline was to go find, you know, one of the senior engineers and sit down and say, okay, stupid question. And it sounds simple, but in layman's terms, talk me through full, I work for mechanical electrical for a period of time for, for one of my fans is what, walk me through an HVAC system. Bullers, chillers, kind of what is that? And show interest in what they do and kind of begin that conversation with them about their craft and what makes that work. And it helped me in two ways. One, it helped me build a relationship with them that they didn't always just see me come and beat them when we needed something for a proposal in sure. four minutes kind of thing. But it also gave me some key insight to be able to go to them and say, hey, I need this. Mm -hmm. And I know you're really busy and perhaps looking at a blank screen or a blank piece of paper scares the living daylight. Give me five minutes and talk me through it. And then let me go take a first pass at it. Sure. You would be surprised the number of times they took me up on that. And then that allowed me to kind of then come back and say, all right, this is what I've got. Give me your honest opinion. And they would say, hey, pretty good. We need to kind of tweak this. But at least I gave them someplace to start. 
Right. And so I think, like I said, first off, making sure that the only time they see you is not when you need something. That takes some interest in them. But then also trying to figure out if there's a way, how can I help you? Right. How can I help you remember? I, you know, I really need you to call. We've heard through the grapevine that this RP is going to drop uh, within the next couple of months. I really need you to touch base with George over at hmm. Metro Waterworks. Just to double check a couple of things. Um, whether it's, hey, we've heard this or funding in place or whatever, just to kind of confirm and lean on that or kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then one of my favorite stories, for those of you who know the name drop, Kenda Salisbury up in Seattle was walking past somebody's office and poked her head in and said, hey, have you called so-and-so? And he said, no, not yet. I haven't had time. He goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm just sitting here catching up on emails. And she reached over, grabbed the phone, dialed the number, and handed him the, and said, good, you're going to call. Those they can do doing that. Yep. Again, sometimes we have to do a little bit of pestering. Sometimes we have to have a little bit of tough luck. Yeah. Uh, sometimes just a little bit of humor. It will help and go a long way, too. So I think if we can find ways to help them be successful, whether it's, hey, let me just pester you a little bit in a friendly, respectful way. Right. But then also, what can I do to help you kind of move things along? In helping them understand when you need them. It's right. not this, I'm asking you to do, you know, being clear with it. I'm asking you to do this tomorrow. There's a reason I'm asking you to do it tomorrow versus, hey, sometime in the next month, sure. I need you to X, Y. And before you go, let me know, you know, and communication, you know, right. it, and understanding how they communicate. You know, we all get a lot of emails, but I also make the running joke. If you know me very well, if you tell me something and you don't see me write it down somewhere, you better be following up with an email. Because as much as I can remember, every so often there's the 2 a.m. wake up going. Yeah. Oh, I you know, kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, but so understanding how that, how that person receives and processes information and giving it to them in a way that will help them process and remember. And I have yet, I am 30 plus years into this industry and I have yet to have someone look at me and say, leave me alone. You're being a pet. Hmm. I, in my head, think I'm badgering the daylights out of them, but they don't see it that way. Yeah. Now, I'm sure if I, there may have been a couple of people who said it under the breath, <laughs> but that was awesome. <laughs> the folks I was camped out in front of their office going, you know, hey. that project approach that proposal <laughs> is due in like four hours. I need that. Not that important. We wouldn't ask for it. I need that paragraph for that project approach, like now, yeah. kind of thing. So um, I'm sure there have been some who have muttered under their breath somewhere in there. But as far as, you know, the stories we tell ourselves in our head, right? Yeah. I'm being a pest. I can't do that. No. More times than not, that's just us, not, not what they really think. 
Well, and if you think about it, like us as marketers or us as professionals, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate when someone follows up a few times if I've forgotten something. I'm like, oh, shoot, thank you. So even just reversing it on ourselves, that person probably is like, oh my gosh, I have to follow up with her again. I'm probably pestering her. And here I am like, you are a godsend. Thank you. <laughs> well, and that's a good point because, and I'm going to kind of switch flip to the client side of this now. Sure. You know, we'll have, whether it's the marketer, the business developer, or the doer seller, reach out to the client, whether it's via email or phone call or text or whatever, and we don't get a response or we don't get an answer. And I can't tell you the number of times. Well, you know, I emailed them two weeks ago and I haven't heard anything, but I don't want to bother them. And I'm like, do you know how many emails they probably get? Right. I'm sure they have all the world's best intentions. They're not going to see this as an imposition or a burden. I can guarantee you if you just, hey, and I typically will start out with not meaning to be a pest. I do still need to know, you know, or, hey, you know, and in the majority of the time, if not always, I get back the, yeah, I did. And what's really interesting these days is you get back the, did I not that email? I started a response. Yeah. And it's somewhere sitting in their draft folder. Yeah. So again, kind of flip that around for as busy as we all are and as many emails as we all get, our clients are in that same boat. Yeah, they're feeling the same thing and the same pressure. So they're not going to to think, oh, they're being a pest again. And if they if they do, they'll tell you. I right. seriously doubt that, but they'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. So then we've talked about how marketers can help this doer seller. Where do you see the marketer fitting in in the model of winning work? Certainly from the standpoint of helping to develop and driving the development of strategy and research to support that right um, pursuit. Understanding the market and the opportunity in the client. A lot of times as marketers and business developers, because we don't have that technical background, we have much different perception of mm. things. If we notice things, we hear things, we process information that sometimes the Technical folks will hear and either dismiss or they miss it totally. Right. And so it's that understanding, you know, to ask questions. That is one of the things. What about at, hey, would they be, or I've read this, or this seems to be a trend, you know, would this be a, an issue or concern? You know, they, they are developers. Developers are always worried about money and interest rates. Right. You know, if, where does that fall in their decision-making process with, yeah. with this? And so I think that understanding that we have a role well past just getting proposals and presentations ready for people to go do and things to submit, but that strategy and research and being a little bit of an outside voice conscious for what the technical teams might take for granted. And it's okay. And I'm not saying be disrespectful, but it's okay, I think, to push back and challenge a little bit and say, explain to me, tell me why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Tell me why you believe that. Why wouldn't this be the case? Would this be an option? Because I think being able to have those conversations, and that is something that has proved 
I'm just going to say this, me well in my career is being able, the things you hear, that is one of the things about being in the office versus everybody being, or people being working from home all the time. Yeah. Don't get upset at me, people. But is that that idea of here's something, particularly if we're in an open office, and kind of pop up and go, hey, did you did I hear you? Or yeah. tell me more about that. Because a lot of times they would say something and not think anything about it. And I would be like, mm. wait a minute. So, you know, being able to kind of hear those conversations and my coworkers just came to understand, you know, one, I could hear on the other side of the office if you were talking about an opportunity. But it also heightened their awareness to, hey, Donna might be interested in it, or right. we might need to think about this from a marketing perspective or whatever, or this yeah. might be an opportunity that we didn't even think about. Yeah. So it begins to kind of to lean into your different viewpoints and perspectives and don't be afraid to voice those and ask those questions. Well, and I um, think I, th- I, I like that you bring this up because there is there is sort of like a digital channel that you can employ this as well that helps marketers get a little bit more involved, which is to be added to the team's calls just to be a fly mm-hmm. on the wall. I think there's a lot of value there of you don't have to have any input, but you can be there to sort of listen and process mm-hmm. in a way that's different mm-hmm. from yeah your engineering counterparts. Yeah. And then following I up will, with it. Yeah. And I will also add to that. I found it quite helpful for me. And, and again, I go back to my first bosses in this industry who were very gracious from this standpoint as far as including me in project-related conversation. It's not that I went to every client meeting. It's not that I went to every a- OAC meeting. Mm-hmm. It, but there were, were opportunities you know, to say, hey, Donna, why don't you go do this? Right. Um, or I would say, hey, do you mind if I tag along and just kind of and sit and listen? Yeah. And most of the time, there was not a problem. It's actually, it's how I got I, my first interview speaking part. It, it's a long story, but didn't know I was going to speak. How's that? It was <laughs> for a, uh, an Air National Guard indefinite delivery contract. And the interview was here in Nashville, which is where I'm based. And so I just said, hey, I have never been to one of their interviews. Do you mind if I just had the lung? Yeah. And the principal who was leading the, the project said, well, but, you know, they're not going to. And I said, you know, I said, that's fine. I said, they'll have, I don't government, they'll have observers. They'll have somebody from procurement that's just there taking out. Why not? Uh, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So he agreed and we went on and I'm sitting there minding my own business away from the conference table kind of along the back wall and at some point they go through they start going through the introductions and the principal starts introducing everybody he's in the room and he gets to me and instead of just saying hey this is Donna Corlo she's a marketing manager blah 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 he says this is Donna Corlo she is going to be our small business minority business liaison for this contract and I went okay hmm whatever so they go along and whatever. And about halfway through the interview, because it becomes Q&A, you know, you go through the interview sure. and Q&A, they kind of start. 
And the procurement officer was sitting at the table, like right in front of me. If I'm along the wall, he is like right in front of me. Mm. And in a split second, he turns around, looks me square in the eye and says, oh, tell me about your small business and minority business participation plan for this project. Ooh. And in the back of my head, I'm going, but bro. So fortunately, we had been very involved <laughs> in developing listening partners, getting ready on board, kind of. The I was going to say that actually. Strategy and research. Is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The strategy and research. So I came out with something for about a minute and a half. You're like, I wrote this he, section. I know this. I know. I know who these people are. And so he said, thank you very much. That's very helpful. And turns around and makes a few notes. Sure. And I'm like, looking at the principal, <laughs> thinking the next time you're going to do that, at least give me a heads up. So I yeah. can't really prepare for that. But yeah. but yeah, that was it. But there were things I heard in that interview and actually just seeing how that interview went. Mm -hmm. So if I could perhaps for some firm leaders who are listening, let me make a plea for and a case for taking your marketers to or business developers. I know that clients want to hear from the folks that are going to be doing the work. I get yep. it. And you don't want to overwhelm them with extra people. But it does help to have that extra set of ears that's listening, that's paying attention to the body language, to maybe some of the nonverbal cues that or reactions someone might have, or at least nothing enough to make note of the questions that are being yep. asked and so, how they land know, and things that need to be followed up with kind yep. of thing. yeah because so, again marketers and business developers listen with a totally different set of ears yeah than, than most of your technical folks or delivery project delivery folks do. i'll tack on to that and say that i i remember talking to one of our engineers who kept just giving me like these really heavy sighs when we were on the phone. And at a certain point, I was like, what is it? What is going on? And he's like, I have to go to this networking event. I don't know anyone who's going to be there. And it was like legit stressing him out. He's like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if this call went over so that I didn't have to go. And I was like, clients are going to be there. Like, are you kidding me? I was like, I'll go with you. Do you want me to go with you? And he's like, Actually, yes. It's like, okie dokie, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> and, and that is a great point, Keelan, is many times it's the first step is uh, helping understand that while we may be comfortable walking into that situation, they are not. Sure. And so buddy system is a great thing. Now, let's not go in a gaggle at the end, sure. you, but it is, but having someone who can kind of show you the road. And see it and take a little bit of that edge off. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, who's there? Who who would we see? What could we talk with them about? You know, yeah. kind of thing. And so a little bit of that pre-planning, but then also that here, here, yeah, you're a buddy. Yeah. It's always nice to have a wingman kind of taking care of you. Yeah. Well, I feel like also when you know that you're trying to help someone, like if I were to go to a networking event by myself I would not be the most outgoing person but if I go into someone else's networking event knowing that I'm there to help them my mindset is completely different and I know I'm there to facilitate conversation 
And I will therefore be a far more outgoing version of myself because I have a mission. You know what I mean? Right. And you're sort of, now you're not afraid to talk to people that you would probably never talk to because you're like, hey, I'm new here. I'm I'm the marketer. Tell right. me everything. Tell me everything. Yeah. And everybody will laugh, but they get it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they appreciate it. And, you know, yeah. so again, you know, understand that you have value and strengths to add to their toolbox to help yeah. support them. Because again, I keep going back to what can you do to help them be successful, whatever success is defined as. And maybe for that gentleman, success was getting out of his own way to get to that network event. Yeah. Even though he really didn't want to go. And so by you saying, hey, you want me to go with you? That was all the help he needed was to say, yeah. But also, again, it's that transparency and trust that sure. you have that relationship that he knows you're being genuine. He knew you were being genuine and that you were genuinely offering as sure. well. Yeah. So yeah. true. True. But cool. Yeah. And I would also say the last thing about how does the marketer fit in the model of winning work? Yes. You know, never underestimate your network, the connections mm. that you have to network and, and to brainstorm, to get around, you know, how do, how do you deal with this? Right. You know, we've all had that personality in the office. It's just like, how mm-hmm. do you deal with this? And, and share those concerns. You know, we've, I, that is one of the things that you mentioned. I've, my, I've been involved with SNPS for almost since day one of my AEC journey. Right. And I've had the Kool-Aid. I've drank the Kool-Aid. I've mixed a few pictures of the Kool-Aid. All the things. <laughs> but I will also say that that SNPS network has been my lifeline. Whether it's trying to figure out how do I deal with this or where do I start with a new market plan? Mm-hmm. Um, where do I, hey, we got a call from a, de- this is a true story. We got a call from a developer out of another city who has not done work in Nashville before and wanted to talk to us about this multi-million dollar project and just happened that the developer was from a city and a location where I knew a couple of folks really well in the industry. I called them and said, Hey, I need some insight. Mm-hmm. What do we need to know? What do you know about these people? You know, and what we learned from that conversation was very helpful to us in deciding whether it was even someone we wanted to work with. Right. Because there is that conversation too. Yeah. So don't forget you have a community of people who are ready and willing to to help you and want to see you be successful and are willing to share their strength, share their insight, give you some great ideas. And it may not be a, a one-to-one comparison, but I'm sure that there are some things you can pick up and kind of tweak for your own situation. Sure. Yep. I love that. Well, thank you for all of this. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where should I direct them? You can always reach me at djcorlew, C-O-R-L-E-W, at yourconnectedge, all one word, dot com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn and get to me there. And I am 
hopefully going to be around at some of the SNPS regionals this year as well. So, and if you're going to Pinnacle in a couple of weeks, I will see you there. But feel free to reach out, shoot me an email, connect with me on LinkedIn and look forward to the conversation. Perfect. We're here to help. Yep. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's one that I've been meaning to have for a while and I was waiting for the right person to have it with. And I'm glad it, <laughs> we made this work. Well, thank you, Keelan. I appreciate it. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.